Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 16, Shadow Play. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every week, you should find us and follow us on the various social medias because we are a good time and you will enjoy it. And as our show continues, we're going to be doing some pretty fun stuff with it. So find us, follow us, comment, whatever you want to do there, and we will engage. Got it. But of course, before we jump into our episode tonight, David, how's your week been? It's fine. I don't think I have anything really to contribute this week in terms of anything new that's going on. So yeah. Life was good, but nothing new to report. How about you? Uh, actually, about the same. I um, spent a lot of time with family this weekend, which was actually quite nice. I realized I hadn't seen people um, in a while. And it's kind of funny because I feel like I talk about my family a lot. But then it's just like I realized a lot of times when I'm talking about my family, I really just mean my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, we got to spend time with extended family and everything else. You know, when we were out at... Uh, out at the pool today yeah, with my uh, sister and brother-in-law and their two kids and some family friends and everything. And things were going pretty well until uh, a group of older children showed up and they were, they went from just being loud to, they were kind of, I guess, Obnoxious? menacing, oh. menacing and kind of bullying the other children that were at the, at the pool yeah. and they didn't really affect our group yet because we were a larger group plus i was there and as a very large man <laughs> I, t I tend to intimidate other smaller people whether i'm trying to or not <laughs> um you know but then of course there comes that time when you know everybody wants to get a little especially you know teenagers they get brave they get a little bold and i could feel them attempting to start testing us and so I was just like, let's leave. I mean, we had already been out there for a good four or five hours anyway. Right. So I was like, let's leave before this becomes more of a stressful situation than it needs to be. You right. Know? And, uh, but you know, that I mean, like, again, nothing really happened. It was just me kind of being like aware of, of everything and getting us out. And we still had a good time and everything else. But it's just unfortunate that there's this group that there were no adults with them. No, no parents that we could see. They just kind of like walked up and were in the neighborhood and then were in the pool and everything else. So, yeah. you know, no one there to really control them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, typical me being the older person who just is not liking the, the younger generation roaming around <laughs> being awful. So... But yeah, other than that, though, it's been pretty quiet, um, and I've enjoyed that as well. But I am looking forward to a new week, trying to get some new stuff uh, started, new projects, new everything. Right. And going from there. Gotcha. Yeah, the weather here in 
in Texas has gotten up to 100 degrees. So, man, I bet that yeah. pool felt nice. <laughs> it did, and it was actually, like, surprisingly cold, you know, because normally when, you know, especially, you know, here, there's there's no trees around the pool or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. There's no – and there were no clouds in sight. So right. it was very hot, very sunny, but the water was so cold and nice and – I mean, it just really kind of made the whole experience. I was like, I couldn't imagine just like sitting out in like your your yard or something in your neighborhood, and feeling the same kind of pleasantness. But um, right. yeah, this was it was actually really nice until those kids showed up. So, so did y'all just y'all jetted out of there in time? What do you mean? Y'all got out of uh, off the, out of the pool in time to kind of oh, avoid any confrontation, basically. Yeah, you know, it was it was funny because I had gotten out of the pool earlier, a little bit before everybody else, and I was sitting there, and they were like the next table down, you know, and it was a uh, I don't know if you've seen these, like kind of like you know, it's just a neighborhood pool setup, so you know, you have to, you know, if you're part of the HOA, you've got to have your little key and everything else to get in, right, and all that, and so we knew that they must have lived in the neighborhood because they must have had one of their parents key to get in right but since no adult actually accompanied them they i guess were feeling a bit more emboldened to be rude and nasty towards the other kids that were out there and stuff right and then i was sitting at the table and i was listening and you could just hear them talking about like they were picking out targets you know they were just like i could take that one i could take that one i could you know this kind of stuff and then it went from just kind of sizing people up to suddenly you're hearing them go go ahead do it i dare you i dare you and i was like no that's all i need a bunch of 15 year old boys really feeling themselves right now and one of them decides to you know punch one of the kids that's with me you know lord forbid that happened so i was just like let's leave before something happens right so we're gonna get out of here so yeah as soon as they went from i i could do it i could take them to i dare you i was like yep let's go because sooner or later someone's gonna take the dare and that's not gonna that's not gonna end well no yeah well glad you guys got to enjoy the pool otherwise (laughs) oh yeah i mean again this was and this was i mean we'd been there for again like four hours, four or five hours before they showed up. So we were there for a very long time, which is great because then all the kids, of course, were wiped out by the time we got home and everything else. So, you know, we were, um, it was pretty nice. Right. My, I, you know, my daughter, we came home, had an early light dinner, and I mean, she almost immediately fell asleep. So I was like, yeah, we got to swim like a lot this summer because it wears kids out. <laughs> But we are not here to talk about children and pools and rowdy teenagers. We are here to talk about Star Trek and tonight's episode, Shadow Play. Which, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, that is the 16th episode of Season 2, right? That is, yep. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I guess we have about 8 more episodes left in this, no, 10 more episodes left in this season. So we, uh, yeah. we're past the halfway point by a little bit. But yeah, episode 16. So, yeah, we are just rolling right along, and I love it because that just means that, you know, the show is obviously building on itself, and we're getting a lot of information, and if you're paying attention to the show, a lot of clues about things to come have been dropped, and this episode is definitely a part of that. Okay. So, we'll be talking about some of those things tonight, but first, David, do you want to give a recap, or do you want me to do it? I can do it. I'd be happy to do it. Did you do the last one or did I do it? Oh, I always forget. At this point, we just, okay. just keep track and just keep a tally. <laughs> well, I want, I'll do it. 
I'll do it. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. Do it. It's an Odo episode, so it definitely yes, makes sense. Go exactly. For it. I think that's why I wanted to do it. Yeah. So as David has said, it is kind of an Odo and Dax episode. We finally get to see finally get to see Dax do a little bit more than push a couple buttons and give a quirky remark. Um, so yeah, the episode begins with Dax and Odo in a shuttlecraft, and they are on their way to the. Um, they've already gone through the wormhole. They're in the Gamma Quadrant. They're investigating um, an unusual energy particle signature. And while they're doing this, Dax is kind of filling Odo in about some of the more lifetime minutia of some people that work on the station, one of them who happens to be in security. And she's telling him this whole story about somebody liking someone else, but they were involved with another person, you know, kind of a lover's triangle thing. And the whole thing that Odo takes out of the story is... That's why so-and-so was distracted at work. I'll have to have a talk with them because I don't want that affecting their work. (laughs) It was a great little moment. I love that he just, like, he completely glossed over all of the other, like, life details and everything else. He's just like, oh, this is why their performance has been so crappy. I'm going to address that. Yeah, and Dax immediately follows up with, well, hey, I've been noticing there's a certain lady on the station who keeps visiting the security office so uh, what's going on there? And Odo is offended, very yes. offended by the insinuation that he himself would be a part of this humanoid coupling, romantic as he calls coupling. It. Yeah, coupling, not relationships. <laughs> coupling the humanoid fascination with coupling. Exactly. Which I have to say reminded me immediately of um, oh, what's her name? Um, the 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 mother of um, Deanna Troy. Uh, Luoxana. Yeah, there we go. Her, when she came to the station in season one and uh, <laughs> was so amorous of our security Over, Yes, and he just couldn't take it. <laughs> oh, that was a fun episode. She's always great whenever she appears. I can't wait for more Luoxana. She definitely does make um, make things better. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so Dax and Odo, that's their mission. Meanwhile, back on the station, Kira has kind of taken it upon herself to fill the roles of Odo, and in particular, in regards to minding Quark. And she is letting Quark know that just because Odo is not here, he's not going to be able to get away with anything, in particular, in revolving around his cousin, who apparently has been trying to get on the station to smuggle in some stolen artifacts from Cardassia. She's letting him know that that's just not happening. Yep. Um... So this, of course, pisses, uh, you know, kind of frustrates Quirk because apparently he really wants whatever um, it is that his cousin's got. Right. But, but Kira is now in his way. And then we're also treated to a very rare sea story. Yes. In which we have young Jake Sisko sporting that ever unique <laughs> kid fashion that I love so much. Yeah. Um, has now been tasked by his father to find a job. Jake is now 15 years old, and Cisco wants him to take on some more responsibility and has decided that his son will work with Chief O'Brien, learn some things about you know the station and operations and so forth, so that when it comes time, he will be more prepared to enter Starfleet Academy. Exactly. Jake reluctantly agrees, you know, but, you know, and you could just tell Ben is just so thrilled to see his son, you know, kind of step out there. He even presents his son with his very own com badge for the first time, right. which if you know anything about com badges, he essentially lojacked his son. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that a little <laughs> bit later. Um, Tag back, your it. <laughs> right. Back on the planet, Odo and Dax have found the source of the strange energy particles, which are... Omicron particles, by the way. And uh, 
they realize it's coming from this machine in the middle of this village that they've come down to. Just as they're beginning to poke around, figure out what's going on with that, a man appears holding them at, uh, basically at gunpoint, phaser point, you know, and he's saying that um, people in the town have been going missing. They've got 20-something missing people so far, and he was kind of thinking that they were the culprits, but now he realizes they might be able to help them out. Right. Dax and Odo agree to help. They begin to launch an investigation. They start talking with other members of the uh, village. This one old man who's, who is like one of the original settlers and his granddaughter in particular become like kind of their focal points while they're um, doing this investigation. Right. And um, they, you know, they can't find any trace of anything. No transporter trace, no evidence of any other kind of foul play, just that the person is missing. It's truly perplexing. Right. Odo is on the case. He's, again, continuing to probe and investigate people, and, he, and they start to realize no one has actually left a certain perimeter of the village. They're just, they just don't seem to have any kind of interest in it, and, and Odo finds that really strange. And I have to right. admit... I do too. You got missing people and you're surrounded by mountains and no one has thought to leave the village to go into the mountainside to check and see if you might find a dead body or something up there. Right. No. None of them have ever tried to leave. So this leads them to begin their own investigation and to move out of the village. The little girl goes with them and um, when they reach a certain point, uh, her arm disappears. First, mm -hmm. Dax's little handheld tricorder that they gave her disappears. And then when the girl reaches past a certain point, um, her arm disappears, which now clues them in that it's not that there's something else about these people. Yes. They go back to the center of the town. They scan the machine that was emitting the particles in the first place. And they realize it's not just any kind of energy generator. It's actually a holographic projector and that right. all the people in the town are holograms um dax is able to convince them to let her fix it they fix it power it down and realize the old man who they've been talking to pretty much the whole time is the only actual real quote-unquote real person in the village right he explains that he came from somewhere else and that because of an invading force known as the dominion bum, bum, he decided <laughs> he decided to leave and start over he came to this planet he programmed the thing with the people that he remembered from his life that he wanted to have around him again and he just kind of like just left the program running and it's been going ever since and you've seen other people have you know lived and died and kids have been born and everything else and he's kind of at the point where he's like i don't want to live in this fantasy anymore let's just leave it off and shut it down but then odo's like well wait a minute you said you created this thing like 30 years ago but your granddaughter's only 10 so she's not your creation she's kind of a creation of the program so she's a whole new thing who has her own life right and just because she's not necessarily flesh and blood doesn't make her life any less valid than anyone else's right so this is convinces him to reestablish the program dax fixes it brings everybody back including the missing people and basically we're left to assume they've continued on with their lives right meanwhile on the station um kira uh, is trying to keep a better eye on Quark. She asked Dr. Bashir to help out with that, who is more than eager to <laughs> put his uh, spy lessons to work yes. that he's been getting from um, that he's been getting from Garrick. Yep. And then um, Vedic Barile arrives. She's in for Kira is informed by um, Cisco. Cisco 
Bedek Barayal has arrived. She goes to meet Barayal. They're hanging out. They, you know, start to have more personal interactions, which leads to them realizing there's an attraction between the two of them. And then this leads to them eventually playing spring ball, which is basically tennis. And then they have dinner together. They kiss. During the kiss, it's revealed that Vedic Burial came to the station at the invitation of another Vedic on the station. And right. this Vedic actually um, has a gambling problem. And he's got a big debt with Quark from playing yeah. Dabo. And so now Kira realizes the whole reason that he is here, that Vedic Burial is here, is because this... Um, other Vedic owed a favor to Quark for his gambling debts, and Quark invited him, Vedic Brial, to had him invite Vedic Brial to the station as a distraction for Kira. Exactly. Yep. Kira then rushes out. She confronts um, Quark to let him know that they actually were able to stop his cousin from sneaking back onto the station. And not only that, but they were able to also find the items that uh, he had stolen from Cardassia. And now he's basically in jail, and Quark is so lucky they didn't get him together. And that's pretty much the only thing that's keeping him out of jail. Right. So he's a little, again, a little uh, frustrated at that, but at least he's not in jail. And then finally, for our C story, we've got Jake, who's been working with O'Brien, and he's learned a little bit, but he's still feeling very frustrated. He talks with O'Brien briefly about how he just doesn't feel like Starfleet's what he wants to do. O'Brien convinces him that he needs to let his father know this, and that his father is going to be an understanding guy. He just needs to let him know. And finally, Jake does. We have a great moment between the two Cisco's, in which Jake is telling him that, you know, um, I, not necessarily I don't like Starfleet, but it's that Starfleet is very much a you thing. I need to find something that's a me thing. Um, Cisco, while initially seeming disappointed, then turns it on a sudden. He's just like, you know, all I really want for you to do is be happy, find something that you love, do it the best you can. You'll definitely make me proud if you do that. Uh, much to the relief of his son. And that's it. Right. So those are our three stories uh, yeah. all summed up. Did, you, did I hit the highlights? Did I get yeah. it right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, this episode, I'm going to go ahead and just say it now. This episode definitely has the feel like an earlier episode. We had a few few back, uh, kind of a, a life on the station type episode. Um, certainly this stuff that happens on the station feels like a day in the life, kind of. Um, while the, the A plot with Dax and Odo is definitely our more traditional, there's a mystery to be solved type storyline. Um, everything else, uh, even the Kira line uh, storyline, feels kind of like, oh, this is just kind of happening um, yeah. while we're on the station. Um, so yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, again, it's a, it's Dax. A great feel. Yeah, Dax was yes. here. Woo! We finally got some more. We finally got some more Dax stuff, and you're absolutely right. This does give us that kind of a, a day in the life feel, which is something that not a lot of the Trek episodes from any of the franchises really did a whole lot of. I feel right. like we get more of that with Deep Space Nine than we did with any other ones, and it's it makes sense because it's a space station. No one's going anywhere. There's not a new system that they're warping into with a new problem or whatever. We're having to sit with these characters, so we get a lot of extra. Um, personal development, which right. um, I think is really lends itself to other stuff later on in the series, which is that's the reason why I think this is like the best series. But again, <laughs> all of that will be later. We've got more seasons to go. Right. Um, but what did you think of this episode overall? After after having watched it again, first time watching, what did you think? Yeah, I think this one is a 
a fine episode. Again, I am happy that Dax steps up, but even then, I still feel like she was second fiddle to Odo. I think Odo is the one who, you know, he's the one who connects with the little girl. He's the one who makes the emotional appeal at the end to the old man. Like, don't, you know, throw away the 30 years that these people, these hologram people have had um, simply because you're about to die. You know, they, they have lives worth living and uh, we need to bring them back. Um, so I'm glad Dax was there. She had more to do to participate. Uh, but it was still an Odo-centric storyline, uh, more so than Dax. So again, I'm still disappointed that Dax hasn't been our point character. But she was there. She did things. She had much more to do than ever before, I would say. And uh, the two of them together were a, a good team. Uh, that little banter they had at the beginning about romantic relationships was hilarious. You know, um, Odo says, I don't want to talk about it's 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 insulting or it's it's uh i don't want to talk about personal relationships or personal questions and then dax is like well after seven lifetimes you know the the non-personal questions aren't interesting um so <laughs> dax is a character definitely there's there's something there i just feel like we that they haven't yet gotten the chance they haven't really dug in uh all all the way into who dax is and who jadzia is as a part of uh the dax line of uh of uh um uh, what's her race called um trills yeah there it is yeah (laughs) so yeah um and then uh i really liked the jake storyline with o'brien o'brien tells a really great story i'll probably get into that but about how he also didn't um take the life path his father wanted what that did for him in his life so the story between jake and o'brien and then cisco uh, was a nice small little C storyline. Uh, I feel like they were able to fit that in pretty nicely. It did mean that our A and B storylines weren't quite maybe as deep as they could have been, but I didn't. I felt like they they played the balance of three storylines well. Um, there were definitely yes. A, B, and C. You know, Dax and Odo being A, Kira and Quark being B, and then O'Brien, Cisco, and Jake being our C plot, and they all fit nicely into um, that categorization. Um, but I have to, I, I imagine, I mean, I know you have a lot of thoughts about Vedic Burial, so I know we're definitely oh, going to talk about gonna, that. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so so the real just, question is, is where we do we start? Where do we start yes. on this one? We're just going to go ahead and start with Vedic Burial. Let's okay? do it. And I'm just going to go ahead and sell it, sell it, say it right now. I don't like him. <laughs> I don't like Vedic Burial. I have never liked Vedic Burial. He just yeah. doesn't fit with the whole vibe, aesthetic, whatever you want to call it, of Deep Space Nine. Right. He doesn't fit. And and it's he stands out with his not fittingness. And it's just because the the way that everybody else is kind of sold to us is on the fact that they're kind of like a almost like a ragtag misfit group, right? Right. They they all yes. have these little things about them that haven't quite been figured out yet. Kira is like is she a terrorist? We're, we're not sure. You know, <laughs> Cisco's got PTSD from dealing with the Borg. You know, O'Brien, he's not an enlisted officer, but he's got a lot of training. He's kind of one of those, you know, works with his hands, you know, guys. You know, he's not Geordi. He's, he's different, you know. Right. And then, of course, we've got our very young, untested doctor who's kind of running around wanting to hump everything in sight, you know. Like, there are all of these <laughs> all of these things about these characters. And then you have Vedic Burrell, who's supposed to be so pure and almost regal, and then when he, when he talks, it's always so 
I don't know. It's like slow, and then it's um kind of monotonous in a way. Like he's supposed to be very gentle, right? And it's just like it stands in such stark contrast to everything else that's going on in the world, right? And so when they have these episodes where they then try to make him amorous with with Kira. Or, you know, showing he's got, you know, a little bit more of a shade of gray to him than what we had thought before. It just doesn't work for me. Right. And so I just find him coming off as just totally bland. And I'm like, either that was the point to kind of show like, because I feel like he would be a perfect fit for Next Generation. Like, if we had met him as a Next Generation character, I wouldn't have a problem with him at all. But for this one, he just doesn't work for me. Sure. What, What about you? Well, you know, knowing your thoughts on him, I was definitely keen on paying attention to his character in this episode because we've seen him a few times. I think he was yes. introduced in season one, yes, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. but we really saw him the most during the three-part opening of the season two, particularly the episode The Circle, where uh, Kira is back on Bajor for a time at his monastery, and he tells her that he's had visions of the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. She... Uh, has a vision herself where the two of them embrace in a romantic way. Um, you can tell he's interested in her, but like, she's like, like not on the same level. And so this episode, we definitely kind of get a follow up to that. Like he shows up and it's like, he's enamored with her. But as I was thinking, like I paused the episode and I was like, I know Perry doesn't like this character. If I were to understand Perry's position, why would I, why would I, why would he be that way? And I was like, well, you know, the thing about him is he comes off as this nice guy, but as so passive and laid back that it's, it's as I think as you because I've just said it, it's kind of annoying. There's just something off about it. And yeah. then the way he's like so wide-eyed about Kira, like you can tell he's interested in her, but like her interest in him is more because of his religious significance than because she's personally interested in him. It's like... The way I the way I was thinking about it, it's like he is probably surrounded by a bunch of amorous people all the time. You know, he's a Vedic. He almost became the leader of the whole Bajoran people uh, at the beginning of this season. So everyone likes him, and even Kira likes him. But her interest in him is like on a superficial level, and mm-hmm. so he's interested in her because like he wants to convince her to like him for in a romantic way, but the reason right. he's romantically interested is because she's not romantically interested. So to me, it feels like as soon as she, like he's interested in her, like it's like a cat, you know, like as soon as a cat gives you attention, it's like, there's something wrong with the relationship. So yeah, it's like when Kira becomes romantically, like when she starts kissing him, it's like, I imagine he would get bored of her very quickly. Like suddenly he's achieved what he wanted, you know, I see what that, you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's not interested in Kira per se. He's interested in convincing Kira to like him right. more. Like he's as... trying to prove a point. Exactly. And so, yeah, when they start kissing, it's it was such a, it was a bizarre scene because, like, she is smiling because they just finished playing their game that was, like, tennis or spring ball, I think they call it. Yeah. But when they start kissing... Like, Nana Visitor, as the actress of, of Kira, like, she gets into it. Like, her first kiss was, like, a full head-on, like, ah, smackaroo. And then, like, they're talking while making out, and it came off as even more weird, because they had, like, a full-on conversation while their eyes are closed. But it's like, where are we going here with this kiss? <laughs> 
And then yeah. you find out that it's the reason we're having this conversation during the kiss is to, is to find out the answer to the whole, the whole court question. So I feel like if they're going to do this relationship, we need to have them commit as a, as a storyline. Like what is yeah. this Kira and uh, Vedic Bryle relationship look like? Is Kira going to turn into a, a, like a standard housewife for him? Cause we know that's not her character. She's not someone who's going to go back to Bajor and live a, a nice little life as his wife. Um, and is he really interested in her or is it just more of a, I mean, I, I feel like it's more of a, an interest in her because again, everyone around him treats him as something great. And even Kira does, but like he wants her to do more. And yet I feel he wants soon, her, he wants her to like him as a man, not. Yeah. A Vedic. That's actually exactly it. Yeah. It's like everyone likes him as a Vedic. He wants, he wants Kira to like him as a man. I think you're exactly right. But as soon as that happens, I feel like that would break something in their relationship. Well, like because he was boring. Yeah. It's like the thing that made him so, um, I guess, alluring to some is that he's this, he's supposed to be kind of above it all. He's exactly. This, he's a very spiritual man. Right. And he's got this influential position with the, with the Bajoran people. Yes. And they, they, again don't so much admire him as they revere him he's supposed to be the next you know leader of their people and all this other kind of stuff you know and so then for them to kind of be like well he's just a man and they kind of bring him down to this level so that him and kira can have this new type of interaction i mean i can understand it but i just feel like it was just executed poorly and mainly because he himself like he doesn't change like, oh, he suddenly has an interest in spring ball. And that's supposed to make me think, oh, he's just like everybody else. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's, if anything, he was just he was more boring. Oh, yeah. And, and then, like was, that's exactly right. Because as soon as we find out how the game went, turns out Kira like kicked his butt and he's she, all like flattering right. her. With, like, how did you learn that move? Um, and she's like, well, as a kid, this is all we had to do was play this. It's like she learned she hasn't played this since she was eight and she's defeating you like. Right. I don't it's think like, you so, like spring ball. Right, you just, right. you, did you, you really just, like it or you did just, you say it because she, you know, had right. an interest or whatever? Because as soon as, yeah, because that whole conversation they have right after they get out of his sermon, he's like, what'd you think of my sermon? And she's like, I liked every bit of it except the content. And then you find out like they're having this weird banter where she's like, you just totally reinterpreted this prophecy to mean exactly the opposite. And he's like, oh, no, but that was great. Right, right, right. Like I was really good. Right, right. And then she's like, ah, it's like, oh, okay, let's change the conversation to like literally anything. So it's like he's trying too hard. It, it comes off as force, this relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? And I feel like that's what it is, too. Like it's forced. And, you know, we just don't know why. Like, why are they so intent on trying to make these two happen? Like there's there's really not a need for it. Like the show in is in no way suffering from not having a romantic something yeah. between any of the characters. It's still new. Every everybody is still trying to figure each other out. So the right. sudden desire to um pair any of them off kind of doesn't make any sense, but like especially for Kira because what we've learned about Kira so far really kind of makes this seem like this isn't something that's on her radar for right now. She is also still recovering from dealing with the occupation and the sudden rise of power and independence and freedom for the Bajoran people and a sudden place of influence with the greater, you know, galactic community and the Federation with the wormhole and everything else. And she's battling her own demons. We saw, you know, with her and uh, Kaiopaka 
and kind of coming to terms with her past and everything else. So it's like she's got a lot of things she's trying to juggle right now. The last thing we really need to throw into this is a romantic attachment at this time. Right. So it's just like, why did you do it? What are you trying to set us up for? And I hope whatever it is, when we finally see that reveal, is worth it. Yeah. Um, and well, I feel like it will be because I just don't like Vedic Bra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like not only is his relationship forced from his end, as I just explained, but at no point does Kira ever express any interest or we never see her like wrestle with the implications of dating a, a Vedic or dating him or, you know, we don't see her ever. I mean, we, when he arrives on the station, she's like so excited to see him. But again, it's not for him himself. It's like because he's this Vedic that she the has very, a relationship. Yeah, the it's very the, important Vedic. It's his it's his religious significance that she's attracted to or interested in at the very least. So I mean, if the story were gonna allow Kira as the character have to kind of wrestle with the the man versus the figure, um, that would be interesting. I don't think necessarily they've done enough to show that that would work, but at the moment like again, as soon as they're in the her private quarters or wherever, and oh, don't thank me, it was the you know the replicator who made the meal. It just like, uh, yeah, it, it's it almost forced. it also it's, kind of harkens back to the message at the very beginning of our a plot story. You know, with Dax and Odo in the um, runabout, right? And they're talking about the fact that you know people sometimes don't recognize relationships or a relationship opportunity that's staring them in the face. Right. And so we're kind of left to, if you, if you, if you let them, if you let them lead you as they try to in the episode, that's kind of how we're supposed to take this is that Beriah was clearly expressing an interest in Kira and she just wasn't picking up on it until it finally happens. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of how that, I think, that's how that was supposed to play out and kind of give us a very loose tie-in to our A story. But um, again, it just it just seems forced. It just yeah. doesn't come off very well. Right. So, and uh, again, I just don't like him. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> so, it's also, it turns out at the very end of the episode that Vedic Barile was playing second fiddle to Quark. She drops Vedic Barile like a hot pocket as soon as she finds out that it's actually Quark that manipulated this whole thing. And she runs out to go confront Quark. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, to talk about Quark real quick, I mean, Quark is, you know, funny in his old ways. You know, as soon as the episode starts, well, as soon as we see his part of the episode start, he's in his bar, it's dark, he's waiting for someone to come in, the door opens, he's like, finally, and then it's it's Kira, and she's like, hey, guess what? Um, So, it's just another episode of Quark is an unrepentant... villain you know she's absolutely ruthless to quark in the episode i mean at least with odo there always seemed to be a little bit of a play for playful banner between quark and odo but kira is like menacing yeah you know even when even the first appearance with her in the scene like he again he steps down from where you know whatever table it was he was sitting at and we just see her standing there in silhouette you know right just this you know this shadow figure and she's mm-hmm. just letting him know that under no circumstances will he be getting away with anything. And she is just, she's glaring at him, you know, hard brow set, all of it. And I was like, man, like, lighten up. You right. don't you want to shoot him right, <laughs> right now. Like, she's yeah. so threatening. Right. So um, it was, I, it, while I enjoyed it, I, I enjoyed the fact that they were just like, 
we're not going to let anything slip by. And they're kind of holding up and it's kind of like an honor guard basically for Odo since he's not there. Right. Um, yeah, I just felt like she was very heavy-handed with Quark. And then we also just don't <laughs> see much of, like, I would have liked to see a little bit more of the of Bashir Quark spied with his machinations. Right. Like, he, you know, like, Quark overheard her trying to enlist Bashir into this clandestine behavior, and then he uses <laughs> that in some way to, to kind of throw the doctor Bashir. off his guard. Right, you uh, know, to manipulate the doctor, throw him off his game a little bit. Just a little bit of an interplay between those two. I mean, because... Right. We really don't see much of Bashir. Like yeah. that was it. Like that That's was literally the scene, it in this and episode, then we don't yeah. see him any anymore. Right. So if we would have seen a little bit more of an interplay between them and like him, Bashir trying to be this, trying to be a spy and failing miserably, right? And Quark just teasing him and leading him on a you know on a wild goose chase, which would I think would have been funny, but at the same time, like again, that would have been like. I guess A B C D storyline, <laughs> and that probably just getting too too complex, too many layers to try to film. Right. Uh, when they're doing all this, but still well, would have been pretty funny. You know, I actually would say though, actually, so if we got rid of the Boreal ver- part of this episode and replace it with your Bashir version, I think that would have worked. We just it's not a it's not that we have a D storyline; it's that we we fix this this B storyline uh, a little bit and uh, mm. get rid of Boreal. Just make it so that Kira is supposedly distracted, but Bashir is the one who steps up um, and has some shenanigans with Quark. That could have worked. Um, again, I the whole Burial thing could be interesting, but as you were talking, I was just thinking a little bit more. And I was just like, you know, the Vedics come off as, to use a, an example, as like, as like priests in the Catholic Church, as these, mm-hmm. they don't marry, they don't have romantic relationships. We haven't seen well, that. Well, so so you're close. I would agree. Like you, right? They they there are a lot of initial similarities. I think that was on purpose. Sure. But then, of course, you know, especially with this interplay with Kira and Baral, where we're supposed to kind of see this as a little bit of a departure there. Like while they do have this religious significance, they're not so cut off. They are still allowed to maintain family ties, have families, pursue relationships, and so forth. No one really. It's I guess it's not like. It's not a rule they're breaking. It's not something sure. they promote, but it's right. not a rule they're breaking if they decide to do it. The few other Vedics that we see don't seem to have romantic entanglements at all, right? Um, yet, but uh, yeah, but again, this is only the second season, so we can't really say. And you know, and Vedic Barrow is the first one that we see in this light. And again, it, the way his attitude comes across, it to me, it seems like they're allowed to do it. They just some the majority of them just choose not to. Right. It's not a hard set rule. Yeah, I think that would certainly make sense from what we've seen so far. But my point is is that he comes off in that light. He comes off as this asexual kind of person. He doesn't engage mm-hmm. in romantic relationships. And yet at the same time, he's like wanting this relationship with Kira. And I think that's why it feels weird. It's like you can't be both. You either are this Vedic person who is highly invested in your religious role and that's who you are. And that's what you do. But you're trying to like have it both ways where you're trying to get Kira to like be your side piece or something. Like what's your intentions here, buddy? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but um, again, if, if the, if the episode were to take time or the show were to take time to actually explore this a bit more directly, it might be interesting, but as a part of this episode, it doesn't get enough time. And so definitely comes off as a bit force even more so than it could be. I don't, again, I don't think it would work even if they was given f- a full, um, yeah. episode but 
Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So we go to this A plot or the C yes, plot. Yeah, I was going to say, no, I want to <laughs> save the C plot for last because I love that one too. Perfect. Um, but yeah, so shifting gears a little bit and talking about, of course, Odo and, and Dax. Um, I I enjoyed seeing these two paired up. Yes. Um, I think this is the first time, actually. Yeah. You know, the first time we've ever got to see them directly work together because typically when we see Dax, so far she's either been with Cisco or she's been with Kira. We don't really see her interacting with anybody else. I mean, besides Bashir, you know, chasing after her um, for or, other oh, reasons. Or she and O'Brien are like kind of interchangeable sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of the same character, so we don't really, you know, they don't really focus on them much and that's why we don't really see them together a whole lot so seeing odo and uh, not kira but dax works because odo is so serious and dax is just so playful she's just always <laughs> so you know she's enthusiastic yes. about like the minutiae the other details like she's she knows her job and to a certain degree it almost seems like I don't want to say she's bored with her job, but she's she's so good at it that there's no effort there. Right. And her and she really seems to come alive when it's other stuff that's going on. Like she was so invested in those stories she was telling about those crew members and their relationship interactions, and she was way more interested in um, the people of the village right. and understanding what was going on with them. And when it finally kind of took that turn to go back to the science like that, like she was able to figure out the machine. Once they recognized the significance of the machine in the center of the town, she was able to quickly manipulate it and, um, and, you know, fix it and, and demonstrate its abilities to everybody else. So, um, I really enjoy when she gets to kind of mess with Odo a little bit and kind of bring bring him out of that whole. Right. Everything is so serious all the time. You, you know? made me. You just made me realize. I know Worf hasn't shown up yet, but I think I now understand a little bit why I think that relationship might kind of work. Is like if she's the playful one and Worf is the always serious one, they can be complementary in that sense. But I know uh, we're still a ways off. Spoilers. From that. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> For thirty year old season or show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I agree that that opening scene is definitely pretty funny. Uh, Dax plays Odo and, um, gets him worked up pretty quickly and pretty easily. It's so funny too. Cause like she's all invested when the episode starts and the scene opens and she's telling this story and Odo is, is doing everything but rolling his eyes at that moment. He is just so bored with this. I don't care. This conversation is not interesting to me. Um, I mean, it, it seems pretty clear to me that Odo comes from a, an asexual or kind of race. So like they probably you know, don't reproduce like, you know, they don't, like, you know, two beings yeah. get together and create a new being, uh, even though he insinuates the little girl that I don't know my parents, I would assume that he's just, you know, like whatever changeling came before him kind of like just split off. And then a new changeling appeared where there were, no, there are two of them kind of now. Um, but I, we have never yet gotten an answer to those questions, even though part of the reason he is on this trip, as this opening explains, is to find out more about his origins over in the Gamma yeah. Quadrant. Um, yeah. so yeah. we're really not, I mean, we really know so little about Odom and his people. I mean, it's not something that has been, you know, he's kind of making some, I guess, inferred leaks because he has said multiple times that he knows like nothing about his race. And, you know, and much of what he knows is just from, you know, his own, I guess, experimentation on himself. 
Right. You know, and at the hands of Dr. Uh, Mara, you know, in the Bajoran facility that he was essentially raised in, you know. Uh -huh. So, yeah, we don't know if he actually has, like, parents the way we have parents, you know, mother and father. Do we do they reproduce in some kind of asexual budding technique or something? We Again, a lot of things we just don't know. And I think that he just kind of says certain things in this episode as a way to communicate... Um, something that the little girl can understand, that Taya yeah, can understand. That's so very true. I didn't yeah. really take anything that he said about like his how, his parents or anything like that. I didn't necessarily take any of that seriously. Hundred percent. I felt like that was an adult trying to relate to a child. Hundred percent. Totally agree. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely how it came off. Um, yeah. And speaking of her, um, she has a great little story about changelings. Like he says, "Yes, I'm a changeling." So maybe we should just back up for a quick second. Um, when we go to the, this, this colony, uh, apparently her mother is the most recent one who disappeared. So her grandfather, who turns out to be the man who started this colony and is the actual real person says, well, she, my daughter was the last person to see her alive. So they go to question her and Odo being our security guy is the one who tries to question her and she doesn't want to be questioned. But the next morning he goes to her again and tries and starts to relate to her in part by explaining that he's a changeling and she demands that he change himself. And he says, I don't like doing that. People, um, well, she, she says that it'd be cool to be a changeling and you could do all sorts of things and people would like you. And he mm -hmm. says that that wasn't his experience. People pretended to like him, but, um, he would do these tricks, but then people, that's all he was good for to them. Um, so she demands, you know, will you change yourself. He says, I'm not going to, but they began to relate a little bit. And then later on, when they go out to the edge of the, the, the village, they she's telling this really funny story about a changeling proving his abilities to some, I don't know, like a yes. goddess or something. Um, a very Aesop's Fable-ish yeah. kind of story. And it's actually which, pretty good. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, she's, she says, so the changeling had turned into a tornado, a mountain, and something else. And so the woman said to him, well, those are all big things. Those are easy. I bet you can't turn into a small thing. I bet you can't turn into a loaf of bread. And the changeling said, of course I can, and immediately did. And then the girl turns to Odo and says, do you know what happened next? And Odo says, she ate him. <laughs> he knows exactly how the story goes. And she's like, oh, you knew the answer already? And he's like, you're, you're changing your in your story. Wasn't, wasn't very, very smart. smart. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then she immediately goes, can you change into a loaf of bread? And he's, what does he say? He's like, I'm and smarter said, than that or something. He's like, uh, why? So you can gobble me up? That's exactly uh, what he says. And he gives yeah. that, you know, his harumping there. And yes. Then he's, and then he's out, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, it, again, great little uh, story. And it also is a way for these two characters to also relate to and understand each other. You know, she's, she's little and trying to, you know, figure him out. And he's just... He's so tolerant, and it's it's great because again, it's the it's curmudgeonly Odo, yes. you know. Yes. And he's always so gruff, and yet with this kid, the whole time, despite the fact that his overall attitude seems to be that he's annoyed, right? He never once doesn't answer her or acknowledge her, right? Or try to help her, never. yes. Even and I the... really like that about the development of the character. Yes. You know? Even as he leaves at the end of the episode, when they've solved everything and they're talking and she says, I like you. You're not so scary. Um, once you get to know you, you're not so scary. 
like he gets down on one knee and like gets to her level and and talks to her that last time and it's it's really great odo is definitely got uh, he comes off as this hard outer shell but he's definitely got some soft gooey caramel uh, underneath that chocolate hard exterior um so yeah that's not exactly how i would describe him but well, okay <laughs> i had to keep the analogy going once i started yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i do again i do like that a lot that like you know because we i I think it's something that we had seen a lot in, you know, other shows is kind of this dismissal of children, mm. you know, and even on Next Generation, you know, the whole infamous shut up, Wesley, being a uh, common refrain, you know, <laughs> and everybody just not paying attention to him or dismissing him until it's almost too late yeah. and realizing that he kind of had the, the solution the whole time. And then here we are on this show where the children are always paid attention to, good or bad. Right. They're always paid attention to, even Nog, when Nog is, you know, causing issues. I mean, even from, that was like from the beginning. Right. You know, Nog is spared a potential, you know, uh, trip in jail and a bad record and everything else because of Cisco and his ability to blackmail Quark. But still, you know, like every, they're always paid attention to. We certainly see that with Jake. We see that with with Taya here. And I just, I really like that. And I don't know if I like that more because I'm a parent now and I don't. I would hate the idea of somebody dismissing my kid just because they're a kid. Yeah. Instead of actually listening to them. Right. Um, but I mean, I, I just think that it lends merit to the story because kids are hard to ignore like you mm. can try mm. but if there's one that's fixated on you you're not going to be able to really get away from them they right. that's just how they are right you know and so the fact that he did not at any time yell at her or do something along those lines to dismiss her right i really enjoyed that yeah so, yeah. yeah when he first or when he's in the morning the next day when he's starting to question her he lets her lead the conversation at a certain point. She starts asking questions about him and distracts from their overall conversation about finding her mother. And uh, it is a personal conversation they have, but it gives them a chance to build that trust with her where she can then show them what the outside edge of the valley is. And that leads them to their ultimate discovery that she can't go beyond the edge of it, revealing the truth of this society, that it's a holographic uh fake society on some level which actually brings me to um uh, holograms exactly uh do holograms are they life we've we've had this question before even on this show yes we Um, have yeah so it's it's very interesting that this is yet again the the holograms are they people you know um that this subject has come up um of course in next generation Harlow technology was was new to us. Now, while they make references to it a couple of times throughout Next Gen as especially the first time that we really see the holodeck used, we understand that for a while, the Federation has been using holograms, but mainly on like a, a training level basis. This is the first time that we're going to see them in a more entertainment setting. Um, so they're used to it. But now we're reaching into the point where characters are being created and they're having prolonged interactions and they're, they're computer programs and they're learning computer programs. And mm-hmm. so at some point, do they ever go beyond their programming and become more than what they were initially programmed to be? And can that actually ever happen considering the basics of the program seem to be learn and adapt? Right. So 
Now, we kind of get to skirt that issue a little bit here because this is not Federation technology. This is somebody else's technology, and who knows how it was truly programmed here. And, in fact, we see that the programming allowed for the other programs to interact and create new programs, like Taya. You know, as Odo points out, he says, you created this program based off people from 30 years ago. Right. Taya's 10. She's an amalgam of the two computer programs or subroutines that would have been her parents. Right. So she's completely different and unique and really separate from what you created. So right. he's saying she has a right to life. Yes. And arguments like this, I feel like they do this intentionally in Star Trek. Um, and that's they make arguments like this. And typically the person giving the argument is the most alien in the group. Whomever <laughs> that is for whatever show you're watching. Like Next Generation would do it. And typically Data or Worf would be the ones who gave these lines. More Data than Worf. But still, you know, Worf kind of gave you the whole, I'm an outsider. I'm not suspect or... Um, I'm not required to follow all of your law, your laws because I'm totally different from you. I have my own culture, my own standards, my own whatever. Right. Um, and then here in uh, Deep Space Nine, we really see that with Odo. Despite the fact that we have multiple different aliens, you know, we've got Quark, we've got Kira, we've got Dax. Um, you know, Odo is the most alien. Not only is he from another uh, another part of the galaxy, from the other side of the you know, wormhole. Gamma Quadrant or whatever yeah. on the inside of the wormhole, but he's also completely different in in shape, form, ability, all of it. He is truly alien. Yes. So whenever he's arguing for the rights of an individual, it seems to be more, or I guess they want it to seem to be more significant, more poignant, because this is a person who is already totally alien from us. Like, we don't really relate to him the same way, right. and yet he's advocating for this thing. So that's one thing I've definitely picked up on with with Trek in general, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's um, you're totally right that it's it's the alien, the most alien characters that are the ones who make those appeals. And I know we've already talked about the Doctor Moriarty character from TNG, but I feel like that's just it's just a perfect example of a hologram character demanding. Or expecting life, like he he was aware of his situation, whereas our our people here, the hologram people, learn the situation but aren't fully aware of it. At least certainly in the sense that they are one amongst their mitts is actually their creator in a sense. But um, mm -hmm. you know, Doctor Moriarty, as soon as he realizes that he is a program on the hollow deck of the Enterprise, he he wants to be allowed to exist outside the hollow deck um, and yeah. even takes possession of the ship or at least uh, holds it hostage for a time in order to get his wishes. Um, but that and, really, go ahead, go ahead. Well, and again, holographic rights and things like that are not something that Star Trek ever really stopped exploring. We see this later on in Star Trek Voyager with the holographic doctor who over the course of the show, he really kind of grows and is eventually acknowledged as a sentient being, even though he was, a computer program specifically designed for this ship and for this, for this crew, you right. know? So he is through his experiences, through them having to do certain things because he is their doctor, you know, um, he gets to experience more and do more. And also it really helped that 
the actor playing the character did such a great job that the fan base rose and it was just like there was a call for more from right. this character and that eventually led to this whole um doctor's rights holographic rights <laughs> things like that but star trek did a great job i feel like in the greater continuity of this whole artificial life and rights um arc because that started all the way back in next generation right we watched in measure of a man where data is yes. basically put on trial for his rights yes and now we're seeing the fruits of that come out several you know you know yeah, several decades later from from that episode there all the way through Next Generation, the many times is Data, you know, sentient or not. Right. He's advocating for the exocomps and other type of technology. Is that sentient or not? Yeah. He's got the whole interplay with the Borg and cybernetic beings and what to do with them. Then, of course, we move into, you know... Deep Space Nine, and there's still more to come on that as we're going to be watching on this show. Voyager does the with the Doctor, and then also coming into contact with several other synthetic species, and then they do it still even in Picard. Now, right. the newest show, there was a whole bit about uh, synthetic life forms and synthetic life being temporarily banned by the Federation after this catastrophic event happened. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You should go watch <laughs> Picard, by the way, if you want to know. I'm just saying... They've done a really great job of keeping that particular storyline alive in some fashion. Right. Where do we draw the line, the boundary on artificial life and their rights in regards to autonomy and being able to self-determine? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a fascinating question. I mean, even in season one of TNG, they kind of start hinting on it. And from the holodeck perspective, there's that one episode where Riker goes in and there's a, a woman in red in a red dress with the binars yeah the binar people needed the enterprise to help save them and so they they use to distract the crew is that what they do they, um, they 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 distract him and keep him trapped in the holodeck right meanwhile they fake an emergency to get everybody else off of the ship to hijack the enterprise to take it to the binar's home planet yes. to save the population right and uh at the end of that episode the red woman is gone and uh riker is is you know pining for this fake woman but th throughout the episode as he's talking with her he keeps making all these comments to her, to her directly about how realistic she is which is always hilarious to me whenever he, they do that even when um picard in certain episodes where he's a detective and it turns out the hollow suite of the hollow deck is like malfunctioning he's like do they <laughs> they, they keep breaking the third wall is what i'm getting at like they keep breaking the 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 illusion, but that's part of what it is. It's like, is the solution anymore? Um, if the hollow deck is malfunctioning and they're actually in danger now, um, it's real as far as their bodies will be concerned if they get shot. So they need to not get shot, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it does bring into a real, real point. Like, well, I mean, if you can spontaneously generate artificial persons that are as real as, you know, this man's, the, the the guy from this episode his his like he was re replacing his friends and his daughter with these holographic people like at what point are they just some guy's you know interpretation of his friends and family and at what point do they become totally independent um people with their own rights and responsibilities absolutely and you know 
to touch on that a little bit more too, like he he recreated them kind of like in his own, you know, from his own trauma, his own suffering. He was from a planet um, that had been conquered by the Dominion, and he was trying to um, reestablish his life and these connections. And in doing so, he you know kind of gave them you know like a second life because I mean we don't know were all those people just like were they all killed. Right. Or was he just creating them because he was lonely and missed them? Did they still go on? Did the real them, the real versions of them, go on and live their own lives and right. are totally unaware that they've been recreated elsewhere? Yeah. And then how accurate is that? Like, right. you know, because he's just, we feel like he kind of created this from memory. Right. You know, and, and that's something that's also been touched on, you know, about creating people who already exist. You know, again, Next Generation covered this with Barkley and creating uh caricatures yeah. <laughs> basically of our senior staff so to funny. to deal with on the holodeck and the you know this the violation of their privacy and stuff how that how uncomfortable all the officers felt when they found out uh Barkley had um recreated them in some fashion yeah. on the holodeck right. I have to admit that was yes that was indeed uh, uh, pretty creepy. I'm not going to deny. You know that was. <laughs> I thought that was definitely crossing a line. Like you could, you could almost make an argument that recreating anybody who legitimately existed at one point or another is crossing a line. Like yes. when they do the whole Sir Isaac Newton and Stephen Hawking and all the rest of them, it's just like, uh, should you, should you really be doing that? Like, there's. Yeah. I'm sure you're violating somebody's rights somewhere. <laughs> um. Yeah, at some point, laws were enacted saying you can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, especially when we move then into into Deep Space Nine, and we see the the darker side of the holodeck, right? On Next yeah. Generation, it was always so fun, and these scenic landscapes, and yeah. you get to have all, you go, go skiing, have a snowball fight, go horseback riding, do these things. But on Deep Space Nine, it's like, yeah, there you can still do that, but we right. also know that they're mainly used for sex. Yeah. So it's just like yep. recreating characters gets really dicey. Oh yeah. All of a sudden. I just, know. I, I don't know if you should I, be again, there's that one episode where there's that woman who comes onto the Enterprise and she's like gonna be the perfect woman for whoever her mate will be and like she has a couple hours to like yes. mate or like partner or pair up with someone and she pairs up with Picard. And I remember Riker is taking her to her room and she's doing her thing. And he's like, I can't like, sorry. But as soon as he's done, he's like, all right, I'm heading to the hollow hollow deck. I'm it's heading like, to the hollow deck. Right. It's we like, know what um, you're doing there, buddy. Right. We know you're not, we know you're not, you know, lifting weights in no, there. No, no. Commander Riker. All. Yeah. You know? So, you know, uh, actually, yeah. It's actually funny that we talk about this because we've never actually seen the inside of a hollow suite on Deep Space Nine, but I don't want to. <laughs> we saw the inside of the hollow deck on the Enterprise a oh, lot, but. No, we do. We, we will. Mild spoiler. Oh. We will. Great. We will get to see the inside of the hollow suites. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Like, um, and that's the other thing too. It's like on the Enterprise, we're kind of left to assume that the you know we, we're told the ship cleans itself, and so we're assuming that these are also areas that get clean as well. But on the station run by the Ferengi, are they as sanitary as you would? Hope now we know what Probably Nog not. does is his job for his uncle at the at the bar. That's what he's doing. He's oh god, <laughs> what a job! Hey, for a uh, Jake, just be thankful he ain't over there in the hollow suites. Yeah, 
Which goodness. brings us to our C plot because, of course, we have Jake who finally, who reluctantly agrees with his dad he should get a job. And he's like, fine, I'll talk to Nog about getting a job at Quirks. And Cisco's like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you will not be working there. I've already right. got this. I've already got this figured out for you. Yes. Uh, Which is you know, a follow-up but... on our last episode when O'Brien <laughs> and, and Cisco were on the episode Paradise. They were in the runabout, and Cisco asked O'Brien, would you please take Jake under your wing? So this is a follow-up to that scene. Oh yeah, yeah. I and I just I really do love the fact that he the way he cuts him off. You know, uh, oh no no no, <laughs> you're gonna work with Chief O'Brien. Like exactly, it's very implied. You stay yeah. away from Quarks like yeah. at all costs. I don't want you in there. Right. And um, yeah, so seeing him, you know, finally kind of embracing that, and O'Brien doing what he can to kind of take the young Cisco under his wing and teach him and stuff like that. I enjoyed. I enjoyed that that whole storyline. The whole C storyline, really enjoyed it. Um, the Cisco's just win for me. They're oh, yeah. they're a great pairing, and they just they work so well together. I love seeing them. Right. Yeah. Um, Sirock Lofton as our young Jake Cisco. It also does a great job of doing that. <sighs> I'm a teenager, and I don't want to have to do the things that my dad's telling me to do it, but I'll do it because he's my dad, and. Uh, when he's first on the on the ops and O'Brien's there, he's all smiling and happy. Ah, I'm all good. Just up with you, O'Brien. And then as soon as they're trying to, you know, test his knowledge about the various implements, he's all, "Oh man, I can't remember this. I I don't know if I'll be able to do it." <laughs> his his personality is all of a teenager. He's he's low. He's up. He's low again. <laughs> he's great. Um, oh yeah, they're just. They and even and again, Jake having this trepidation to speak to his father about um, his life plans. He doesn't necessarily have one, other than knowing he doesn't want to be in Starfleet. And seeing you know that kind of hesitation, I think everybody can relate to those moments growing up when you're just when your your parents are trying to push you in in a particular direction that maybe you're not sure you want to go, but you feel like you you kind of got to be obedient. You kind of got to honor that a little bit, you know? Right. Especially at, at 15. I mean, he's got so much time ahead of him to kind of figure that stuff out. And his dad's already kind of beating him on the head about uh, service in Starfleet, you know? Right. And it doesn't seem like he's doing it in a mean-spirited way. He genuinely seems excited. And I mean, and I'm, of course, I mean, Ca- Commander Sisko here. Right. He genuinely seems excited for his son in this future. He's trying to just kind of get him geared up. Right. And and when he finally comes to his dad and he tells him, I don't think that's what I want to do. Sisko, he's not angry. Right. You know, he doesn't start yelling. He doesn't do anything like that. He just comes to him and he's like, you know, he's already accepted it. He's like, I just want you to do something that makes you happy that you're passionate about and do it the best you can. Right. You know, and I, again, I loved it. I just, I think that it's very important for kids to hear stuff like that. Oh, and yeah. with the way that TV was back then, and even to a certain degree now, right. there's always this kind of um, trope that the father is going to be disapproving unless the kid either precisely follows in their footsteps or does something that is seen as imminently better. Right. Right. And for him to, in this moment, 
totally accept his son and just be like, again, just do something that you love and that you can really, you know, be into, like right. really be a part of you. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that take because that's just not something that we saw a whole lot of on TV, especially back then. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cisco always proves to be a great dad, um, which I think even it does is he's even fine to want to push Jake toward, you know, Starfleet. Like he's, he's laying a path out for his son. He's taking some, you know, some, some, some steps to like, you know, lay down a path for his son to take. But as soon as his son says, I don't know about that. He immediately says, that's fine. Um, and his first reaction when Jake says it, he's like, Oh, what? Like, how long has that been? Um, how long have you not wanted to join Starfleet? And he basically says forever. Um, that's too much. You, he says that, you know, you're my dad, you're Starfleet. That's who you are. I need to find out who I am. Um, and Cisco says, that's fine. Um, it's not like he says, I still want you to do your, do a good job with O'Brien. I still want you to put your, right. He's not allowing him to get out of the responsibility at all. Right. And he even says, I'm, I'm glad before Cisco or before Jake, that is says he doesn't necessarily want to go to Starfleet. Uh, Cisco tells him, I'm glad you're still going to, uh, you're that you're going to put in the work to learn from O'Brien. Um, and that's not changed after Jake reveals his, you know, inner feelings on the matter. Uh, but it does show that, you know, Jake has some responsibilities that, that his father's putting on him, which are good. It gives him some, some, uh, some, some direction. Right. But, some you know, discipline. Sis- yeah. But Cisco focus. is not going to railroad him uh, toward a path that uh, he doesn't want. And that ties back to the O'Brien story. Or O'Brien tells us that his dad wanted <laughs> O'Brien to be a cello player, which I have to admit, I did not in any way know that O'Brien was a so, former cello. Maybe, no, So this is a, a great Hold little on. callback to a TNG episode That's where we right. see O'Brien playing the cello. Oh, you're totally right. As soon as yes. I said it, I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. I know, I know that Data was a brilliant violinist but yes and that's where we see that's where we see o'brien playing the cello as well he plays with data they do their little mini concert in 10 ford and that was yeah and i remember watching the episode being like i didn't know o'brien played the cello and it's the thing that we never really see him do ever again yeah you know it was just a one-off thing and i you know of course with stuff like that I'm sure that it was more along the lines of they needed bodies to fill the background <laughs> while trying this episode, and yeah, yeah. and the actor who plays Miles O'Brien, Cole Meany, he was probably just on set that day. Yeah, like, if, it if was, you it watch was, him play the cello in the background, you're probably like, oh god, his technique is terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it has. I have no doubt in my mind that he got that spot simply because. He was on hand for whatever right. reason. He was there on set that day. He it was, was an there. Easter egg more than right. an actual cast they, as a cello player. Yeah, they and that was just it was buried deep. Yeah, deep in the Star Trek history, and then they finally got a chance to bring it back. Right, all these years later on Deep Space Nine <laughs> for this one-off story that he gets to tell about his dad. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just like. If you had never watched Next Generation, or heck, even if you watched it, as David just eloquently pointed out for all of us, you might have forgotten. You might not have seen that. Right. You know? Uh, but yeah, O'Brien is a cellist. Right. Yeah, and yeah. he's uh, apparently, according to what O'Brien tells us, is that his dad made him practice every day until he was 17, and he was good enough to even get to a, a music college, but O'Brien didn't want to do it, so he secretly went off and applied for Starfleet. And when he told his father, his father was very angry. But now when he goes home, his father is always proud to announce him as 
what chief engineer senior senior chief petty officer o'brien yeah full name o'brien yeah um yeah so it it, it his story is perfect for young jake cisco here uh, same exact thing yeah my dad kind of railroaded me on a, on a life course and it was kind of rough when i had to tell him that i didn't like it and went my own way but in the end it worked out and so that's a great little story for jake to take his encouragement to go tell his dad uh, how he feels and which actually is great because that means that jake doesn't have to deal with the the tension that o'brien had to deal with of like straight up defying his father's wishes right so. yeah they give they do definitely give us that because i mean it's just like you know o'brien tells him you know i you know, my dad eventually came to accept me right and what i wanted to do but he clearly had to slip out and do this thing behind his father's back right you know and jake learning from that story and the experience of what Brian realizes he does not have to do that. He can just um, be upfront with his dad. And that's right. also something that O'Brien kind of gives him. He's like, you should just tell him, you know, and uh, he does. And again, we have a very great moment between the two Cisco's and um, I just, I just really always appreciate that. Cause again, it's just not something that we saw a lot of on TV back then. I mean, typically in the nineties, these kind of heart to heart moments were typically the children to the mother, mm-hmm. not the father. It, it, typically this, this kind of scene would have been more in line with 90 television. If either Cisco had uh, either say Cisco, they're both Cisco's. If Ben had found out about Jake's plans behind his back and then it confronted him in a more angry, aggressive manner. That would have been more in line with 90s TV. Right. Or if Jake had defiantly done this thing and then had a showdown with his father, which ended in a shouting match before they finally had a moment to kind of calm down and slowly and like seemingly de-escalate it, but still not be on good terms at the end of it. That also would have been more in line with 90s television or, you know, the other one, the, the, the classic blow up, you know, there's the right. screaming and somebody's kicked out of the house. The, if you're <laughs> under, you live under my roof, you're following my rule. That, that kind of thing yeah. would have been more in line with 90s television at the time. Right. And I'm so glad that we saw none of that. Right. None of that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, and it always is just another example of the great relationship that Jake and Ben have together. They're a, they're a great father-son pair on this show. And mm-hmm. yeah, you're totally right. And also the dedication that both Avery Brooks and Sirach Lofton had to um, showing such a loving, positive relationship. Right. He's not trying to overrule his son or control his son. And his son is also not lying to his dad or right. really hiding things from him. He was afraid of a reaction that didn't happen. Right. But ultimately, he told his father what he needed to because they have built the trust between them that he could do that and that he could accept it. Right. So um, I definitely look forward to seeing more of that in the future because now we know Jake is 15. So soon he'll be, you know, 18 and, you know, out in the world doing his own thing. And how is this going to affect the relationship of the Cisco's? Right. So final thoughts on this episode. Yeah, I would say that, um, yeah, again, this is kind of a day in the life of our Deep Space crew with the Dax Odo storyline being more of the typical uh, mystery of the week uh, storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this episode is a good example of 
maybe one you could skip if you needed to skip it. If you're doing one of those kind of, you know, skim through the whole series kind of episodes. But you'd be missing out on seeing more of Dax, seeing a great Odo episode. You'd be missing out on the strange <laughs> relationship between Kira and uh, Beryl. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you'd miss a great moment with Jake and uh, Ben. But it's not a bad episode. It's overall a good one. But I would say, again, that it's something that you could skip if you were doing, again, one of those, you know, long series yeah. long shows i guess you could i guess you could but i mean if you're already doing a rewatch why would you skip it just right oh yeah yeah you know um i i have found as i've been going back through some of these episodes too there are some that yes i would say okay i'm gonna skip this one but you know when i sit and then make myself watch it anyway i find there's new things to enjoy about the episode so you right. might as well just go ahead and watch it and try to pick up on those things that you might have missed or glossed over the last time that you watched it because you do feel like it's such a skippable episode and so forth like i know people who always skip the loxana the loxana troy episodes and i would encourage anybody who skips those to go back and watch them now right. because while you might have skipped them as a kid because she can seem very overbearing and a bit much <laughs> for for children as an adult i feel like you will have a whole new appreciation for her right um so yeah and i feel like the same thing is true of episodes like this this would have been an episode that when i was growing up and watching it i definitely would have been like i, I don't really care right that much about this one but i can also remember as i got older and i, I identify it's weird i've watched this enough and it's been around long enough that I can remember identifying with Jake, yes. and now I can identify with it's Cisco. Cisco. Oh, so man. it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird to watch it and oh, just wow. be like, "Yeah, um, yeah, yeah." That's that's a that's a a cha- not a challenge. It's interesting. Yeah. So I think for other people too who are probably around my age, a little bit older, I think you should go back and watch episodes like this because it's weird the effect they have on you when you're watching them again. Right. Well, yeah, actually, you know, as you were just talking, I guess what I was trying to say by the you could skip this episode is it doesn't move the plot forward. But actually, as no. I think about it, I'm totally wrong. It does move the plot forward. We, especially with the Cisco's, definitely with Kira. I mean, yeah. So I'm I'm wrong. Like this is an episode worth watching yeah. uh, and continuing to have on. Again, I guess I would say it's not one of those episodes that I feel is going to stand out in my mind mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the series, but. Um, I'm wrong to say that it's a skippable episode because it doesn't move the plot forward. That's not true. It does. And it it also gives us a little bit more of yet another Easter egg about the Dominion. This is the third time that we've heard a mention of the Dominion, and we have not seen them yet. All we know about the Dominion so far is that they are a very powerful, controlling group they're some kind of empire this is the second this is the third time they've been mentioned yes and the second time they've been mentioned as an invading force that they the, yeah like yeah yeah, yeah. That, like uh that that well it was the second time they were mentioned that they were so powerful that they overcame a an, an equally another powerful okay. group yes mm-hmm. yeah this time it was just that our main character had somehow escaped the dominion from them destroying his life otherwise mm-hmm. um but yeah, you're yeah, 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 yeah. We need we need we need to learn more about the Dominion. I look forward to finding out more. 
So we and so again with that being the third time, we know that there's more that's coming, and we're gonna get that big reveal as to what the Dominion really is and what they're about, and what obviously that's gonna mean for our crew on the space station on the other <laughs> side of the wormhole. So um, yeah, we're we get we get these little bits and pieces here and there, but these are things that you would miss if you felt like overall the episode um, was skippable, you know. So out especially. Going back and doing a couple of rewatches, as obviously I have over the course of the years, you know, you get to pick up on these things and it doesn't seem like things are quite so out of the blue. And you also get to see how much planning really went into this show. Like, we know it was a serialized show, but they they were laying the breadcrumbs for the serialization this early. This is season two. And we still have not seen this enemy that I know is going to take over a large portion of this show and influence a large portion of this show. And here we are in season two already with three different mentions. So I'm very excited uh, to see what's next and to pick up on those next bits. All right. Looking forward to it. Yes. We've got a lot of things that are coming up that are going to be really interesting. And I mean, unfortunately, Vedic Burial has to be a part of a lot of it, too. But, <laughs> you know, it, it is a means to an end. So uh, we'll just leave that there. Gotcha. Um, before we end, I did want to give a couple of quick updates. By now, everybody should... I feel like you should have a Paramount Plus subscription because you should be watching Star Trek. Um, yes, Deep Space Nine is still on Netflix, but... Uh, so what? All the other tracks are on um, Paramount Plus, and if you haven't been watching Strange New Worlds, which only has uh, two episodes out so far, go watch it. The show is amazing. Like it's it's great. I'm not going to say anything about any of the characters or anything like that, but just I love the look of it. I love the the way the the characters are presented to us. I'm not going to talk about, again, any any particular character, but I love the way they're presented to us, and it just, it, the show overall has a really great feel, in my opinion. I know it's only two episodes so far, but um, yeah, I think that they're on the right track, and hopefully, if they can maintain this, I think we're in for a pretty exciting season, so go watch it if you haven't watched it yet. Um, Picard is finally over for season two, so we're just waiting on the final season of that show, season three, which will most likely be out next year. And um, then, of course, we have the return of all the other shows, Prodigy, Lower Decks, and Discovery. So um, a lot of great Trek stuff is out, and I believe there's actually rumor of another Star Trek movie. Um, Hopefully I'll have another update for you next week on that, if there's going to be another Trek movie or not. I know they've planned a few, but I know that a lot of those plans have been dropped. But from what I just found out, maybe something else. So come back to us next week, and hopefully I can have a little bit more information for you on a potential new Trek movie. David, anything that you would like to end or add before we end? No, no. I look forward to finding out more about any future movies. Uh, This is in the... The current film series, right, with the um, the, the the timeline with the um... so so the only thing that I will say at this time that, that way I can give myself a little bit more time to dig into the source material there is that it's supposed to be all they've said is it's an all new Trek movie. They're very much stressing the new part, so I think mm. that means that it's going to be in a all new timeline, not really dependent so much on 
what's been before it, um, but that's it. So give me some time, and I will let you know. Okay. Well, guys, this has been another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to us tonight. And as always, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. That's Apple, Amazon, whatever it is. I happen to do it on Spotify. So tune in there and also follow us on all the social medias. You can find us on Twitter as The Fire Caves, Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast, and on Facebook under the same name. Until next week. Take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. 